1: I'm going to miss you all. Um, We talked about knowing Jesus, the person of Jesus, encountering him. We talked about deciding for Jesus, intentional discipleship, deciding, making a decision about this Jesus. And we talked about growing. We talked about the ingredients that create a vibrant life of faith, growing in faith. And today, uh, our last talk is on sharing Jesus, giving Jesus away. (laughs) So uh, let us begin a moment of prayer. Jesus, we love you. We ask you to be with us. We ask you to help us to know you and to love you and to serve you. And Jesus, we ask that you, uh, even as we spend this time, give us your heart, your heart for the lost, for people who don't know the way, people who are far from you. Give us the heart you have for them, that our hearts would go after them and break for them. And our lives would be a beacon of you to them in this world. Come, Holy Spirit, and move among us. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. There's a story of a couple, kind of like my wife and I, who's got grown kids in, their, in other states. And it's a few days before Thanksgiving, and they're bemoaning the fact that their kids won't be home for Thanksgiving, which happens to us a lot. So the uh, husband sits down at his computer, and he sends his uh, three kids an email and says, "Uh, children, uh, I have some bad news. Uh, Your your mother and I have been talking. Uh, We've been struggling lately, and it's been a long time, and we've just decided that it would be best for us to get a divorce. Love, dad. So uh, it only took a few minutes. And the phone rings. He picks it up. And it's his son saying, I got your email. What? What? You are not getting divorced. You are not getting divorced. Don't do anything. I called my brother and sister. We're taking a flight out tomorrow. We'll be there tomorrow. Don't do anything till we get there. So he hangs the phone, looks at his wife, says, everything's all set now, dear. They're coming home for Thanksgiving and they're paying their own way. <laughs> it's a good Thanksgiving one. <laughs> it's actually uh, something I wish I could get my kids to do. There you go. To plan. <laughs> I think I'll try it. That would be oh my God, that would be so funny. <laughs> so sharing Jesus um, When you find something very exciting, what do you do? You tell somebody about it. You find a great restaurant, you tell people. Great movie, you tell people. Great book. Um, If you're into sports and you find a great event, you get all excited about it. We do that all the time. What happens if we meet the pearl of great price? that which has no comparison, no comparison. The fellow in the gospel who found the treasure buried in the field and found the pearl of great price, they gave everything for it. Out of joy, out of joy, he sells everything for the treasure, for the pearl. See, when you have something so good, all you want to do is tell people about it. Evangelization and sharing the gospel should not be some legalistic uh, burden that, oh, now I have to do that. No, it's the joy of sharing the joy you have with other people. And if we don't have that joy, we better start thinking about it. The joy that comes from knowing him is like no other. You know, the church uh, basically exists for one reason, to evangelize the world. Um, This retreat house, Malvern Retreat House, exists for evangelization. The mission that we all have, beginning with baptism and certainly as our faith develops and grows, is to share the person of Jesus Christ with the world. Matthew 16, verse 15, Jesus says at the end of his life, Go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. I love that. You know, when you're about to die, what you say is kind of important because you've only got a few words left. So you share the ones that mean the most. What does he leave them with? A mission to the whole world and every creature even. I love that. Even the bugs, everything gets this. Who is this for? It's for people who don't know Jesus Christ, never heard the gospel. It's for people who have heard it, maybe been through church things for a while or school, but they're not living the faith. And it's for people who know Jesus and live in him but are not fully devoted disciples, and really for all of us at some level. But there's something very uh, poignant and serious about about this right now in the history of the Church and in our current day. We're experiencing in the Catholic Church the worst crisis in five centuries. Not since the Protestant Reformation has so many people left the church or inactive. For every one person that joins the church, six people are leaving. The Pew report found that all church membership, all churches, belonging to all churches, not just Catholic, has fallen below 50% to 47% in the last 20 years. So less than half of the people who were members of all the Christian denominations, more than half, are disassociated. To put this in perspective, and this is very interesting to me, in the early 70s, only 3% said they had no religion. Only 3%. Hardly anybody. That means 97% of people in America believed or connected and believed in God and connected with religion. In 1991, that jumped from 3% to 6% said no religion, so it doubled. But in 2021, that number rose to 26%. 26% of our society. Has written it off. It's pretty serious stuff. Now there's there's two ways I I think we can respond to that. One is you just get kind of depressed. (laughs) Feel like crawling under a rock or something and thinking, like, you know, what what use is there? This is we're just trucking along in the mud here. Well, the other is this. Seize the day. Seize the day. It's what we were born into. You know, like I, I, why, you know why do you have faith? I asked that the other day. Because uh, you're good parents. I'm sure that helped, but God's mercy. Why are you born now? Why are you and I here? Why are we confronted with this? There is a purpose to us, a purpose to our life. In desperate times in church history, worse than this, that's how some people responded. That's how some looked at it as a calling and a mission intensified because of the situation. Intensified. And it rallied a faith that had to rise above mediocrity and standardness to a greater level because of the challenge. You know, you see, the Franciscan movement literally affected society in the church, the Dominicans. You know, people at times of, of great crisis, many of the greatest saints rose up at the worst times. So are we called to rise up. Or is that somebody else's job? Now, maybe we all do it differently. You know, maybe we're not going to go around on jets and preach around the world. But in our own way, in our own time, in our own life, what is God saying to you, to me? It's intensified, but it's nothing new. It's always been the plan. And it's always been in opposition. It's always been a war, kind of, of trying to bring mercy and having that mercy refused, which is so tragic. Now, I like this story of, uh, uh, it's, it's a story about imagining after the ascension, Jesus, you know, dies and rises, he ascends, and he's in heaven. So he's talking to uh, you know, like Moses or somebody, one of the great patriarchs. And so, hey, Jesus, so what's the plan? You're done now, and you're up here, and what's the plan? He goes, well, I got these disciples, you know, and 11 of them are still going strong, and, you know, I put it in their hands, and that's the plan. And from them, they're going to make other disciples, and it's going to keep going even though I'm not there. And so Moses uh, turns to him and says, so... uh, What if, you know, looking at those guys, Jesus, really, they're, they're, you know, there's a a lot of question marks here with these guys. and, And this might not work out. You know, logically, it's not looking too promising. So what's plan B? And Jesus looks at them and turns and says, there is no plan B. See, friends, there's no plan B. It's you and me right now. There's no plan B. God calls disciples and sends them. It's what he does. There's no plan B. See, the problem with us, as Catholics, is this, and I think it's true, is that we don't get this overall. Most Catholics just don't get what I'm talking about, honestly. Uh, we were formed as Catholics, speak from my own experience, uh, with a self-understanding that, you know, I'm not really that religious. You know, I, I, most of my early life, I'm, I'm an average Catholic. Uh, mission and holiness is not my job. Uh, it's essentially not my job. It's, a, it's something that priests do and nuns do. It's their job. They're the holy ones, mission-centered ones. have It's what they do. We even have missionaries, and we pay people to do this for us, right? <laughs> Put our money in the basket and send people out, and it's their job. We pay them. We hired them. They're gone. We basically sold out on our baptism. We were baptized priest, prophet, and king. You and I priest, prophet, and king. You know, uh, there's an interesting fact that in the Bible, Old and New Testament, no one ever experiences God without being sent on a mission. No one in the Bible ever has an experience of God without being sent on a mission. No one sometimes immediately. It's, it's kind of like a coin. You know, a coin has two sides. So if one side of the Christian life is an experience of the divine in Jesus, the second side of the coin is to be sent on mission from that experience. So you experience him, and you're sent. You meet him and you go. It's two sides of the same coin. It's what our life is about in some way. We form ourselves and growing in Christ, like we talked about. We do all those things. And part of it is to be sent on mission. Holy Spirit came uh, and appears to the disciples and sends them almost like it's one action. We read, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And then he sent them on mission. Uh, Giving the Holy Spirit was like giving it and sending it. To make witnesses. The remarkable thing about that passage is, these are people that just failed him, seriously failed him. He doesn't even mention their failure. He doesn't you read it. He doesn't say, "Well, you denied me, and you ran away, and you weren't at the cross." And no, he doesn't mention it. It's like he doesn't see it. He comes. He breathes the spirit, and he sends it. It's not about us. It's not about our limitations. It's about what he's capable of doing, even through you and I, even through clay vessels, even through these imperfect people, flawed people that we are. It's how he looks at you and me. Now we have to learn and grow in mature fashions about how we love and serve others by sharing our faith. But it's our job. You know, when God and Jesus calls us to follow him, as I said earlier, it's to get into our mind, to think differently, and then to get past our mind into our body, we know him there incarnated. And then through our body, he gets into our life and how we live every day. The practical decisions we make, how we relate to other people, and how we relate to the world, it's there. It's a reorientation of self from just being preoccupied with me and just the things of this world to be preoccupied with him and his mission. When Jesus calls Matthew, as I said earlier, he was in the act of sinning. And he called them. I once had a, a couple come to see me for counseling, marriage counseling. And after a couple of weeks, they come in and she goes, you know what I found out he's doing? He's having an affair. Well, it was awful, the so wailing, the pain, the screaming, the crying. So he comes in the next day, a week by himself, and we're talking. He's not a real religious guy, but out of nowhere, he's asked me a question no one ever asked me in my life. He says, so is God with me when I sin? And I kind of just immediately said, Yes, yes, he is. You may not be with him, but he's with you. I get this from Matthew now. He might not have been with Jesus, but Jesus is with him. Jesus is with us, even when we're sinning, even though we're not with him. See, when he died, he went to the depths of hell, the depths of human dysfunction, and redeemed it. And he does that in you and I. When they called, uh, when Matthew rose, uh, stood up, it's the same Greek word for the resurrection of Jesus. When he stood up out of the tax collector's booth for Jesus, He resurrected from his sin because Jesus called him right there. And then what does Jesus do with Matthew? He forms him in discipleship and sends him on mission. It's what he does with us. It's a process. We're not finished products. It's not overnight. But it's what he does. It's who he is. That's what he does. I'll tell you, talk a little bit about one scripture. I'll be brief. The Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a, a, a town, and there was a well there. It was about noon. And there's a woman from Samaria who came to draw water. And Jesus was at the well and said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone on to the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God, the gift of God, and who is saying to you, Give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would give you Living water. A woman said to him, Sir, you don't even have a bucket. The cistern is deep. How can you get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty. Whatever who drinks the water I give will never thirst. The water I give will become a spring of water within you to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me that water. <laughs> so I may not be coming back and being thirsty all the time and draw water from the well, kind of not quite getting it yet. Jesus says, her, well, go call your husband and come back. The woman said, uh, I don't have a husband. Jesus answered her, you're right in saying you don't have a husband. If you've had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see you are a prophet. And later she goes, woman, said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the anointed. When he comes, he'll tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking with you. At this moment, his disciples returned. were amazed he was talking to a woman. But still no one said, what are you looking for? Why are you talking with her? The woman left the water jar, went into the town, and said to the people, come and see the man who told me everything I have done. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And later we read, many of the Samaritans of the town began to believe in him because of the word the woman testified." That's a beautiful story. The woman, she's in trouble. (laughs) She's a woman, second class back then. She's a Samaritan. They intermingled. Jews hated Samaritans. Wouldn't go near them. She's rejected by her own people, Samaritans. That's why she's at the well at noon. No one goes to the well at noon. It's too hot. So she goes there because no one will be there. Imagine having to go to a restaurant when no one's there, or the gas station when no one's there. That's how she lived her life, so no one would see her, because they hated her. They rejected her. She has no husband. She's had five. She's sleeping around with some guy now. She's a broken person. Her self-image wasn't there. She was sad of heart. Jesus loves messed up people. He loves you and me. (laughs) He loves messed up people. What does he do? This is Jesus the evangelist. What does he do? Could you give me a drink? God, how beautiful is that? How how gentle, how vulnerable is that? He asks her to help him. He doesn't say, are you saved? Or or, do you believe? Or you got to do this and that. He says, could you give me a drink? First of all, he's not supposed to talk to her. He breaks the barrier, sees her just as a person to be loved. He asks her to help him. God is so beautiful. He enters into her life and her world, getting water. He starts offering her a new life. You know, you don't have to have to be thirsty. Not just thirsty water, but thirsty within, the way you are now, thirsting for life, dry. No, you don't have that. You will never thirst with me. Jesus loves people like this, and he calls them. And then what does she do? She goes out and evangelizes the town. (laughs) Because she's filled with joy, she tells everyone about this Jesus. How simple it is, how gentle the movement is. It's not this harsh thing. It's loving. So How do you go about this? I'm going to give you some tips, and I'm going to end. Tips for the road. A lot of people say, well, what's my mission? i got to discern my mission. That's fine. Good question. But it's better just to accept that you are a mission. Your life is mission every day. To have a disposition that part of my life of discipleship along with prayer and all this other stuff, is that I'm missionary. Every moment, I'm loved by God. So every moment, I'm sent by God to share his love with another, in whatever form that might take. I'll give you some tips that I've used. You know, you're out at a restaurant, and it's lunchtime, and you're about to start your meal. Do you say grace? publicly, it's a good thing. Let everybody see that you're praying. Not as a trick, not as a tool, but because that's who you are. You say grace. You don't shy from it. You just let people see you. I've had people look at me, and it's good. It's a sign. When you say goodbye to people, I always say, God bless you. Some people hear it. Get away with it. God bless you. Throw blessings around Maybe you're just attentive to people, even people who work behind a counter. You know, I, I I often pay attention to like waitresses or people behind counters or people cleaning the floors, and they 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 feel so loved by that, and then they'll sometimes start talking to me, and I just listen. And then sometimes I'll end by saying I'll pray for you because I'll share some burden. I'll say I'll pray for you. They're like thank you. Or someone shares a struggle, like their kids or something. And I often sometimes will say something simple, like, you know, for me, my faith is what helps me through things like that. I have that, too. And my faith helps me through. Sometimes they ask for more. Sometimes, if I'm real bold or if really feel led by the Spirit, someone's struggling, and they're talking to me, I say, would you mind if, if we prayed together for a minute? I'd just like to pray for you. They never say no. And I just do a simple prayer. Lord, I just, Jesus, I ask you to help this person, help their daughter or their son, or help them find a job. Help them to know that you love them. Amen. Or sometimes you just say, I'll pray for you, and that's it. You know, being, uh, even Tolkien, uh, the great writer, said to C.S. Lewis, who was his friend who, at that time, didn't believe in God. He just said, he, C.S. Lewis, Clives, just read the gospel. Just read it. Try that. Something simple. Sometimes I'll say that to people, just read the gospel. Or sometimes I'll tell them my story a little bit. Just the way, you know, I was one way earlier in life, and then I, my father died, and I met a, God in a new way, and my life's been much better. Just something simple, or my faith is what helps me get through life, things like that. Simple, attentive, missionary, in all circumstances. It's the disposition that I'm asking you to think about, not what you do, or how often, or how good you are at it, or it's not about being slick. It's just having a disposition toward the other. It's it's what Therese of Lisieux said, what is the present demand of love? Sometimes the, the present demand of love you know sometimes it's to help people physically or with money sometimes it's to help them by giving the love of god and christ to them because that's what they need evangelization friends is an act of love or it's nothing we do it cuz we love another no other reason i love this line people don't care what you know till they know that you care people will not don't care what you know until they know that you care. When they know that you care, they'll listen. They'll receive something. Finally, I would just like to end this by saying something Father Jim was alluding to. you got to get to know the Holy Spirit more in our life. A lot of Catholics, it's Father, Son, her, her. now who's this third person? We... Kind of ignore it. And yet it's the, the very life of God that was given to the disciples that made mission possible. It was given and they were sent. Flawed people raised up and sent. You know, it's the wind of God, it's the breath of God, and it's the fire of God. You want to get to know the Holy Spirit? Breathe the Holy Spirit. In your prayer life, pray, come Holy Spirit and breathe. How beautiful is that? How intimate is that? Who do you let breathe on you? Nobody. Child, baby, or your spouse. Let him breathe in you. Every day, just pray to the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, and breathe. Come Holy Spirit, and move. Is the wind of God. It'll move you, it'll it'll stir you, it'll lead you, it'll guide you. Things will come to your mind that you didn't know. Sometimes you'll say, you need to call this person. You don't know why, and you do, and there it is. He will be a wind. He'll also be a fire in your life. A fire. To have us burn for other people. To have the heart of God for other people. Friends, talk to the Holy Spirit more. And just wait and see what happens. Come, Holy Spirit, come. That's the only prayer we have for the Holy Spirit. Come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Just pray that a little bit throughout the day and see what happens. And be open in the silence of your prayer or your heart. Come, Holy Spirit. You'll get to know him, and your life won't be the same. So I would like to take a few minutes uh, and Father Jim likes us to do this. He said, um, we haven't done this yet. And we're going to end. This is our last session. But it's a time for question and answers. And then I'm going to share a little bit about uh, my podcast and books and stuff. But if you have any questions about any of the four presentations about meeting Jesus, deciding for Jesus, we talked about growing in Jesus and the three integral parts and now sharing Jesus. Is there anything that was shared by me uh, or this weekend that you have a question about, and I'll see what I can do with it? If you don't, it's fine, but feel free, you know, tell me more about this, or I wasn't sure what you meant by that, or, yeah, I've had that experience, or whatever, give you a chance. I'm only here for a little while longer.
2: To us towards the end of our our stay there and asked us how we could be so kind of joyful or like what was it in us that and I didn't know how to answer. Like I I don't know how to uh, I have a friend who's got a gift of he can hold your hand.
1: What's your first name? Steve. Steve. First of all, thank you for sharing that story. That is so beautiful and uh, so profoundly true. That so many times when I when I've had people I love in the hospital or I know someone who's have the same thing, they we often say, "I don't know how people do this without God." You know, it's like it's amazing how God sustains us, uh, and that's a sign of God in our life that we can be sustained at times that would other, uh, otherwise crush us. That's a sign of God's with us. And that's beautiful you shared that. And your question is really, really a good one. So when someone says, "You know, why? how did you get through it, you don't know what to say. <laughs> well, you could say that. I, I don't know what to say. I'm not good at this. But I just know it's my faith that makes the difference. That's all you have to say. You don't have to be uh, like you look at your your, your cousin or your friend as a deacon now and say, "Boy, he's so smooth. He knows knows what to say." You don't. God doesn't want you to be him. He wants you to be you. And sometimes it's better when you're when you stumble, and you're trying to share your faith. People hear that more. Because when you hear someone who's it's easy. They're like, "Well, they hear it, but." But this person's real, like me. So if you, you could say, you know, I don't, I'm not really good at talking about this, or I don't know what to say, and then they'll like really listen and say, "It was, it's my faith. It's God that has sustained us through this. I know it is. That's enough. If you lay that, give that, that even if she, he, or she asks no more questions, that is something that she'll put in her pocket." that God will bring out sometime in their life and change them. I'll tell you a story of my wife when she was a, uh, a nurse. Uh, she, before she was a nurse, she was like, they don't call them candy stripes, but she's like helped out on the floor. She just had a job. She's in college. She was a nursing student. So she's in this uh, on this floor, and she's just started. She doesn't know anything. So uh, the doctor comes out of this uh, room and just told the woman and her husband and her son that she's going to die. And she told the nurses this. The nurses are all talking, and like, oh, I don't know. No. These seasoned nurses didn't want to go in there. <laughs> Tell my wife, Helen, she's like, what, 19 or 20? Go in there and ask, see how she's doing. <laughs> so my wife goes in there. This is an amazing story. She's like 19 scared out of her wits, sees the woman on the bed with a Bible opened on her lap. Her husband and child are over there sobbing quietly. She's at the door. The woman looks at her and must have saw the terror on her face, said, it's okay, dear. It's okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. Helen never forgot that. Helen didn't have faith then the way she does now. She was, but it was something that affected her like nothing else because that person witnessed. She had the Bible in front of her. And she was okay with her death. So, you know, that's a dramatic story, but it's still the same thing. It's a simple thing that plants a seed like no other. I mean, it was one of the things that God used to. Evangelize her later on. So, what I'm saying to you is, is be assured that you are fine the way you are. And just be honest and be yourself. And just say, it's my faith. I don't know how to explain that and I'm not good at talking about it. But that's it. That's all you got to say. Great question. Because. Yeah, yeah. That's show. What it does. It portrays that. Yeah, it does. That you care—that I mean the person that asked the question—he cares about her. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You're—you say you're kind of like responding from your heart to this person's question. That's beautiful. That's what people need. That's what—that's where the Holy Spirit works in people. You know, too 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 many times we hear the word evangelism. We think of somebody on TV or Billy Graham. Or let's get way past that. You know, maybe that has a role, but. That's not where most of it's happening. I mean, mo- most of it happens this kind of thing, and then you invite somebody. It's that simple. And go to church with me? <laughs> Something like that. Just have a conversation. Yeah, just a conversation. Heart to heart, human to human, imperfect person with imperfect person whom God loves. Let's just get it right. We're all human, we're all flawed. I'm not any better off than this person. I've been gifted with faith, and I want to give them that gift, but I'm first just a human being with them. And when you walk in someone's shoes, you get it. You walk in their shoes. That's what a good listener does. A good listener puts themselves in the shoes of the other. And when you're a good listener, people talk because they know they're being loved because listening is one of the highest forms of love. People forget that. And we're not really, not a lot of good listeners out there. But when you listen, you love. And people know they're loved. Look at what Jesus did. He kind of like, give me a drink. Help me. Oh, gosh, it's brilliant. It's beautiful. Okay. any other comments, questions about any of the four talks or anything this weekend? Yes. Great question. Thank you. Um, uh, What sustains me, inspires me, is I pray every day. I'm not patting myself on the back, but I I can't do what I do and be who I am without having time with God every day. And I read the scriptures and that. Uh, I read a variety of different books um, from time to time, not voraciously. Uh, I listen to people like Robert Barron. I listen to some podcasts. I, get, uh, I buy CDs and put them in the car. And some of them are really inspiring, some aren't. Um, I hang around, I, I think probably, to be honest with you, <laughs> this is what I should have said first. The most important thing in my life, and I think all of our lives, is that I have people of faith around me. Um, not that I don't hang out with people who don't have faith. <laughs> But most of the people that I rub shoulders with have faith. And faith is caught more than it's taught. I love that line. It's caught more than it's taught. So when you're around people of vibrant faith, you catch it. You get it. And your faith is elevated because you're around people of faith. That's why we need to come together like this. You're around people of faith. You breathe it in. You catch it. And it elevates you. So, I made a point, make a point of trying to be around people of faith, Um, and luckily, with a lot of what I do, I'm able to be. Um, It doesn't mean I don't associate with other people, but that's my main main place. So, yeah, it's prayer and it's uh, uh, being with people of faith and selectively um, what I read. You know, I, I read things that 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 minister to me you know, that work for me, and that changes with the season. You know, sometimes I read a book on prayer, sometimes I read a saint, sometimes I read a little more theology, you know, different things, or the CDs are great, the podcasts are great, I'm at Barron, I have a podcast I'm going to tell you about in a minute, so it's really good to kind of fill yourself with good stuff, you know. Um, I get slimed easily, like I, I listen to st- someone television, and I I feel slimed by it, like my set my my radar is so attuned now that there's so many things that I don't watch or listen to that I used to, because it just does something, you know. So it's it's like creating an environment. Remember, I started talking about the seed. You put the seed in, and you create the conducive conditions for the seed. So it's a variety of things: it's people, it's events, it's church, it's prayer, it's study, it's service, and then the. The seed grows, but you don't want to put toxins in there because you got enough of that coming at you anyway. So it's a great question. I wish I could answer it better than that, but it's a variety of things. A lot of people have, have helped me. Yes? As parents, it, it would appear that we have a responsibility for our children to yeah. get them to know. Yeah. Is a parent's salvation dependent on their children's? Absolutely not. Just put that to rest. Do the best you can. Your salvation isn't dependent on that. Comes down to free will. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, golly, if if how how could we be responsible for someone else's choices of faith? It's not possible. It's theirs, they're free people, they're free agents. Um, take that off your shoulders, brother, it's not, it's not about you. And also, you know, accept the fact that in any endeavor in life, even as a Christian, even in the things that mean the most to us, like raising children and raising them well, and raising them in faith, we're all imperfect. We're all imperfect, we're flawed. I made mistakes. You know, I'm kind of, you know, work for the church type guy. <laughs> I make mistakes. I made mistakes, but we don't not do good things either. We do good things, and that's all we can do is do our best. So be careful about uh, guilt tripping yourself or putting too much on you. You do your best then you let them go and then you pray like heck for them and you model faith to them the more we grow in holiness and faith and discipleship it has an effect on other people like i said i hang around people that have an effect on me but we have an effect on others too an effect on our kids yeah and you're bringing up probably the most sensitive topic among probably all of us is our children doesn't get any harder than that. Ain't no pain like children pain. I've had a boatload of that too. Um, so, yeah. But that's part of the journey, you know. It's like um, love is harsh and dreadful thing, Dostoevsky said, I think. Um, there's a harshness to it, it's hard. There's a beauty to it, there's joy in it. It's great. Wouldn't cha- change it. But it's stuff. It's harsh. It's where we meet the cross. Well, it's where we meet our sorrows, and it's where we meet Jesus in our sorrow. You no, know, his mother was at the cross with John. A lot of sorrow there. So that's the gospel for the mother of sorrows. Mother of sorrows, in the midst of that sorrow. A new family was created. Mary was given to John. John was given to Mary. And in the sorrow, something was birthed that's lasted forever, the church. So sorrow is part of the birthing in our life, too, in God's grace. In God's grace. John, are you still at now, I worked there for 25 years, 24 years. I was in campus ministry, and I taught part-time in the theology department. I uh, did a lot of pre work and things like that. But I was a high school teacher, worked at campus ministry for 24 years. Then I worked at St. Norbert's as a director of adult formation, and then did a lot of that part-time, then did some parish missions and used to give talks. Then I got too old and settled down here and I don't work in the parish anymore. I'm kind of <laughs> slowing down. Um, I was just- Um, <clears> That's <throat> a really big question. I, I'll kind of give you a, try to give you a short answer as best my own experience is, uh, I mean, faith, as I read, is waning across the board. Uh, I mean, the forces that Christianity are against is, is, tense now, is, is, is very intense now, as much as it was at any time in history, uh, probably primarily because of technology and because of the industry, the movie industry, that people are formed. See, we're always being formed. There's a lot of stuff that comes at us. And so young people have a lot of stuff given to them. Not all bad. I don't, I'm not one of those, shun the world. The world is good. But it's not all gospel. It's also flawed. And it's a tough time to be a person of faith. It's a tough time to raise somebody that way. And you know, I certainly see bright spots, and I think part of it is because things are so bad that God and Jesus and the Spirit are raising up evangelists and real places of renewal. Uh, but it, on the big picture, it's it's difficult. Um, I'm not one to say that everybody's a pagan or something. You know, there's good and there's bad, uh, but there's a, a lot is waning, and uh, but not everywhere, not everywhere. So at Villanova, I was a lot of good kids, you know, um, met the mass, do stuff. But, you know, they're, the world is there, too. You know? So it was a mixed bag, is all I could say. Um, I wish any university was more committed to the proclamation of the gospel in all aspects. And uh, but that's just me. You know, uh, Yeah.
2: mm give you
1: hope. Mhm. It means a
2: lot. For you know, a youth group, young adult Catholic youth
1: group. Oh yeah. So you know, the theology the body theology on tap you want to call it. There's a lot of good resources. As bad as technology is, there's a lot of good stuff on technology. I'm investing myself in it for my final season of life is to get in the in the technological world and get the gospel out there. I mean, think about the fact that right now we have the opportunity to bring the gospel to the whole world on a push of a button, the whole world. Even uh, certain places in Africa that have uh, bamboo huts can have a solar uh, thing that will uh, give energy to their to their phone, and their phone will connect them to the whole world. They don't even have to have infrastructure or uh, you know all those things Put in so you, we have the capacity now to reach the whole world the gospel and st. Paul was around he'd be all over it and so should we and uh, That's where I'm going next I'm I'm doing podcasts now, and I want to get it out there do my bit because I think that's That's where they are that's where the people are a young person won't or, or one of these statistics You have to remember, here's the thing. The statistics are bad, but they're still human beings and children of God, which means that they have the same DNA we do. And that DNA is looking for God, because that's the way we're made. So they're seeking in their own confused world. And the first place they're going to seek is their screen. They're not going to go to a church, not going to be seen in a church. It's too threatening. It's too whatever. But they'll start by tapping on that little computer and do a search. You know, God is searched like a huge amount, just the word God. I mean, people will sit there in that hole that I talked about, that Pascal talks about, or Augustine who says, our hearts are restless till they rest in you. This restlessness is still there. And when they turn the movie off and the music off and they're quiet and it's Sunday night and everything's been done, you look out the window, And this vacancy opens up. And they know, they think, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Because we're made that way. We're made for God. So my point is, they will search. But the first place I think most of them will search is on their phone. That phone is where we need to be. (laughs) And that's where we can engage them. And if you engage them in a way that's engaging, You can proclaim the gospel. But that's always been the case. You have to you have to engage what you got. Yes. Our uh, our Bible study that we do on Wednesday night, the woman
2: who had handed a a thing out about I don't know if you've ever heard of Carlo Acudis. He's a young Italian boy who at eleven years old, not a very Beautiful. The very next day my daughter sends me a thing on Facebook, Dad, I just read about this, this young man. Two days later Drew Mariani on Relevant Radio does a show about Carlo Acudas. There's some kind of movement
0: happening with this young man. Yeah. Uh, for the youth movement. I think he's gonna be they just assumed his
2: body and they had him he was in, in, un- incorruptible. incorruptible, yeah. And he's in jeans and a hoodie, sweatshirt. He's going to be the first saint, probably, to be laid out in a
1: hoodie. You know, what's so beautiful about that story is what I talked about the Holy Spirit, and you talk about how bad things are, but the, the Holy Spirit is always moving. God hasn't given up. I mean, church is still around after 2,000 years, and it's been through horrible things because God's. its his church, and he promised it. So my point is, these kind of movements, I'm sorry? You have to get smaller,
2: I think.
1: Yeah, maybe. But I think these movements are breaths of the Holy Spirit, movements of the Holy Spirit. There's tons of them that I'm aware of. I and mean, a lot of them are really, really good. Thank God for it. But it's happening, if, if it doesn't happen in the structured church thing, it's going to happen in the, the world, the Catholic world. Anybody else? Well, this is so pleasant to sit and talk with you like this and chat and ask these questions and discuss things. Um, So, before I go, this book, Becoming Fervent Disciples, is my first book. It's basically most of what I talked about, like uh, the practical tools for becoming a fervent disciple. What I like about it is it's practical. You know, we're told to be a disciple, have faith, but no one tells us how to do it. This tells us how to pray, talks about the, con- the conditions I talked about, service, community prayer. It also has one of my favorite chapters on how do you hear God speak. I, people ask that question all the time. I, I talk to God, but how do I know God's talking to me? People love this chapter. It's one of my favorite in terms of the responses I get. This is my most recent book. It was actually a, a publication of a book I did a while ago um, that I self-published, got picked up by a comp- publisher. It's good news in bad times. A very easy read. And it's most of uh, the stories I've used. I think I used one or two here. I did use a couple here. It's stories that I use in my homilies. And it's the theme is that, you know, life is tough. <laughs> life is hard. Um, but that's where God is. He's in our life. And sometimes you think he's, you know, where are you? He's there. And so it's discovering God in, in crisis and all the stuff that we go through. And during the pandemic, a lot of people really found this helpful because the pandemic put in our face that, you know, life is hard. It's challenging. We get sick. People die. How do you go through life vibrantly with faith? How do you meet Jesus and all that? That's what this is about. And it's easy reading. It's a bunch of stories. And I encourage you to pick it up. The thing I'd really like you to help me with, if you wouldn't mind, is my podcast. You can take one of these with you. It has the books. But it says, uh, Real Life Christianity with Deacon John Lozano. That's a podcast I have. And I put my homilies up there. In fact, I, I'm recording these four sessions. And I may put it up as a retreat for everyone. You know. I give all this away. Um, And people pushing 3,000 listeners or hits at this point. Um, Some are my daily homilies. They're like five, six minutes. Some are Sunday. They're like 10 minutes. And then occasionally, there's a long uh, talk like this or an interview I do and get. So if you know how to do podcasts, it's very simple. You go on the app, put it on your phone. You can listen to it any time. And if you have younger people in your life, they all they're all over podcasts it's actually the number one gr- growing form of communication so I figure that's where I want to be <laughs> so and if you do do that you could do me a favor all you have to do is uh, subscribe rate it hopefully you give it five stars uh, a one sentence comment and then tell people about it if you would do that for me it would be great because my uh, the guy that helps me with this tells me that's how it I am like a Neanderthal man with this stuff. I'm too old for it. I know. But he says that's how it happens. That's how it grows. So uh, I'm going to give you each one of these if you want, and then the books are here. If I run out with one, you know where to get them. Um, so thank you very much for having me here. You were, uh, I, I, I do talk to groups uh, fairly regularly, but I can... Uh, you were just, uh, I don't know, just... It's You were great. You were. I, I, huh? And humble, too. The best and humble, too. No, it's just I asked you in the beginning to be open to God, and you were. Because I can tell. You see, when I speak, I can, there's a symmetry. Like, if it's not there, oh, well, I know it. But if it's there, it, it helps. Something comes out of me. So thank you. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for your presence. Uh, I'm, I'm inspired by you all. I really am. Um, so pray for me and pray for my family. Lord, we ask you to be with us as we go forward tonight. Help us to rest in you. Help us to receive you even in our sleep and to rise to greet you in a new day. Amen. Okay. we we'll pass these down.